0: Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and their experience for you to learn from, and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, check out practical-leadership.academy. Neil Odin, thank you very much indeed for joining me.
1: You're very welcome. Lovely to see you, Paul.
0: Could I ask you, would you please introduce yourself?
1: Of course, thank you. Yes, uh, my name's Neil Odin, and I'm uh, the Chief Fire Officer for Hampshire and Isle of Wight's Fire and Rescue Service.
0: And you've been doing that for quite some time, and you've been a firefighter ever since firefighter school, ever since high school.
1: I have, yes. So I joined at uh, the tender age of 18 years old, uh, having um, sort of started university and uh, trying to decide whether I wanted to do that or not and uh, wanted to continue in some sort of paid job as well. Very, very lucky. My mother was actually the instigator of this, looking at uh, RAF, police, fire service, all those sorts of services, and uh, ended up you know, really following my nose a little bit and ending up in the fire service. So it, it was one, of, wasn't one of those boyhood dreams or anything like that, but it has been an amazing career, and I'm so pleased I did what I did at, at that time.
0: Last time my local fire team had an open day, I brought my wee boy around and he got to sit in the front end of the front end of the engine. I was thinking, can I ask if I can have a go? I really can't have a go. You know, it's not it's not enough. You know, the eight year olds are allowed to go up there, but you know, and they were very good. They were very good.
1: Oh yeah, you'd be surprised. I remember my first um, time on a fire engine as an 18-year-old and the grin would not leave my face, I have to tell you. Although it wasn't a boyhood dream, but I can tell you that the thrill of actually going on your first fire engine uh, attendance to a fire, you know, clearly a someone's bad day, but, uh, well, what an experience. And uh, it's been a privilege ever since. 32 years, ladies Nelly. it's still a privilege to do what I do.
0: I'm sure people ask you this, but in a role such as yours, Chief Fire Officer... When's the last time you actually went to
1: burning building? It is um, yeah something which obviously I have a fantastic team that uh, you know we, we have um, you know over sixty fire stations across Hampshire North White, and Isle of Wight, and all of those have got their own commanders and all, all of their uh, you know their abilities that they're, they're fantastic. So what happens the very largest fires or very large incidents uh, I would go on to um, if I have to take commands. Uh, we had a fire in in Hampshire some years ago now, but only a couple of years ago. or So in Andover um in the um distribution plant for a big um food distributor and uh because of the sheer scale and the, the days it went on for i took over that fire eventually um so i am a, you know i'm a qualified firefighter i get i get reassessed every year uh, i do my fitness test every six months so and you know, i am a, you know, a firefighter but actually i run a uh, 90 million pound organization it's kind of my day job really as a chief executive of, of that so it is quite a mix i never thought i'd be doing that when i was 18 years old i can tell you that for nothing but um it is a, a certainly a very rewarding job where you do get the chance to, to, to rush about doing emergency things, but actually my job is to keep the organisation calm, focused and uh, professional about what it's doing.
0: I mean, that's context, that context itself must be the ultimate challenge for someone in your role, not, not least of which you have the typical executive distance from the reality of the front line. So how do you actually know what's going on? Well, every couple of years something horribly horrible happens and therefore you need to take charge. a Gold commander, is that, the, is that the term, something like that? You need to take charge. But how, how do you maintain that proximity to the 60 fire stations and $90 million worth of expenditure? You you, you take charge of in, front, in charge of the tax payer. T- pay.
1: Yeah, I mean, all those things are you know, require proximity in terms of, of your stakeholders, and clearly one of my you know, primary stakeholders is my own people, uh, and you know, we, we have a distributed leadership model. Uh, so you know some of those fire stations are you know they're an hour away from where I am, um, so you know getting there. So of course this technology is very helpful nowadays, yeah. uh, and COVID really brought out those habits in us during COVID, and um, we are also uh, someone described us as, as a highly reliable organisation, so we can't fail. Um, and so you can't build in, you have to build in lots of failure um, layers to make sure that there's plan B, plan C, plan D. Resilience at the very heart of what we do. So it is, um, you know, trying to make sure we manage costs, but at the same time knowing you're building redundancy into the systems, so because they can't, they can't fail. So that balance is quite interesting from a kind of academic or business perspective. But also people leadership, you know, leading people from a distance is, is can be quite challenging because they have their own local context, they have their local kind of cultures um, in parts of the New Forest against parts of Portsmouth or, or in the city areas. They're obviously going to be quite different in terms of how they operate and, and what they're doing, actually, and what they're required to do. Um, we've moved a lot into medical and, and urgent care response. Um, and this service is one of the biggest responders to that, Um, and some months we do more of that than fires and and extrication from crash cars, so we are very much in that space because that's what our market demands, if you like, Um, so we are moving and diversifying like most companies, organisations do. Uh, We have certain limits around uh, legal statute and indeed paying additions for our staff, Uh, and that's an ongoing challenge for us, is to make sure that we, we, we move in a way that's okay with our our unions and our staff, but also recognise that there's a need to do that to protect our communities.
0: I can understand. If we cast your mind back, I'm sure it's not quite back to age 18, but at what point did you take on your first people management role? How did it happen?
1: Do you know, I, I, I like this question about, you know, are people born into this or, or they learn it? So I, I do think there's a bit of, bit of both. But I was fortunate enough as a, as a youngster when I was playing rugby at you know, school and things, so I ended up um, being the captain of the team. And, and I think through instinct of others, that okay, this person tends to, you know, being a leadership position or and I was ever a rugby star or anything like that. I was OK at what I did, but I, I like people and, and I'm interested in people. Uh, and so as a as a person in a rugby team, I was interested in the dynamics of the group and how we got the team together. Uh, and then I realised that essentially made me a leader of some sort or another. Um, and joining at 18 years old, of course, you are very much the, you know, the, the, the newbie, uh, you're the bottom of the pack, you're the kind of, you know, you learn, you listen, uh, some type of kind of attitude, certainly back in the early 90s. Um, now, I don't think we're much more inclusive than that nowadays, but nonetheless, it is about learning your trade but recognizing you have leadership abilities uh, and so I, I knew at some point i would probably chase that that sort of that that, that role i'm really happy working in the group don't get me wrong and in fact nothing gives me more joy than not being in charge sometimes if I, I love to sail and what i love to sail, i love not being the skipper i love being on the front of a, of a boat and you know, they're putting the sails about uh, because it takes me away from my immediate decision making and forward planning kind of habits um but uh, it, yeah, naturally, I've become a leader in a, in a pack of people, and, and that's something I realized at quite an early age. When you see people
0: around you, when you see people taking on leadership roles around you and you, and you must this must happen very frequently in, in such a size of an organization as yours, and I'm also sure it's uh, it's quite well structured. When you have that moment, what advice do you or would you give to them?
1: I'm always looking because we can teach. Anyone to manage, and with that comes some leadership skills. Um, what I'm most interested in in people is is who they are, their authentic self. Uh, which uh, sometimes that phrase is overused, but I my my advice and my thoughts to people are, you know, lead from the heart. Be don't don't that doesn't mean being irrational and emotional. That that means actually lead from who you are, because people see that anyway and you can pretend and you can you can you can cover up for for years probably but that's hard work and when the going gets tough all that falls away and so the the thing i'm after most often is uh, i don't the skills we can deal with later um it's the it's the attitude the, the character that we're after um and that comes as as you are and it's okay not to be a you know, fully fledged brilliant leader that's perfectly okay it's having the care about the people you're leading um, which for me is the most important thing.
0: How would you suggest that somebody new to that role starts? Do
1: you know, it's hard because we're all uh, we all have this imposter syndrome thing going on at first. This sense of I'm not good enough for this role, and certainly at 18 years old, I'm you know pinch myself. Why am I on this far engine? Do they not realise <laughs> I'm a flawed individual? Um, and you know, probably that's been true for most of my most of my career. Going, gosh, do they realise? Um, but that's I think that's. It's, it's, it's having humility it's ha- recognizing that so we're none of us are, are you know are the finished article and we're all good enough and it's up to the organization to make sure it does the checks and balances about are you have you doing know enough to do this job safely that's that's the organization's role and we can do that but what we really want people to be is be okay about being themselves what they bring. I always say to people if you take an interview or a selection process and pretend to be someone else, You've got a whole career ahead of you, you know, trying to be that person and that's going to be hard work so you're better off just being yourself and go if i'm right for this job then great that'd be that'd be nice and it uh, won't be simple ever but it will be easier for me as a human being being that person than trying to be something i'm not so that that's always the advice i give uh, and but it's trying to make sure that the appointed the pointers or the selectors uh get that point as well so making sure they're actually asking the right questions and looking for the right things in people rather than when's the last time you did this, or how do you do that? But frankly, you can teach that.
0: As you said, uh, the moment you put some stress onto an individual, the people's true nature reveals itself. Yeah. And in a job, in a role such as being a firefighter, one would imagine that it is more often than not you are exposed to that sort of stress.
1: Yeah, and it's not, not only the, 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 the perhaps the fear um, or, or the... Um, or the approach to the kind of critical instance we have but also working in partnership and working in difficult times uncertain times ambiguity all those things bring out sometimes uh the worst in leaders move to defend themselves protect themselves or or not be open about their needs and i found in partnership work i had the privilege it was a difficult uh, couple couple years privilege of being the gold commander for COVID 19 across hampshire and isle of wight for the for the multi-agencies and that requires a deep understanding and empathy for others. Um, and it requires you to really give of yourself into those spaces so that people trust you as the, uh, and it's not a command really, you're it's, it's more kind of um, convening and, and trying to get all the shoulders behind the same wheel. That takes a great deal of, of uh, openness for people to trust you as an individual to say you're not just feathering your own nest, either professionally or personally.
0: Was there in your career a particular event, moment? Mistake, perhaps, that really was pivotal in how you learned something about your leadership, your management style.
1: I realised, I mentioned earlier, I mentioned the leading from the heart and and always wanted to be, always thought I needed to be authentic. And it always takes a while for you to discover yourself in, in those leadership practice, um, and think you know. And I can remember one time when it was a particularly uncertain time in my career about who was going to be picked and where I was in that pecking order. I never felt myself massively driven to rise up the ranks, as it were. I always wanted to do a good job and, and have the best impact I could. But I can remember being particularly um, using the power that landed in my lap at that point, being vicious and quite nasty to another colleague of mine who I liked and admired. But it was out of fear because I, I feared that I was going to get beaten by this person or I was going to be suddenly outshone. And I can remember reflecting on that almost immediately as I did what I did, um, saying something at a meeting which which you know took the legs away completely. Realizing you always have that power people. Well, yes, you can you can destroy people, you can damage people, but you really mustn't because there's no good in that at all. And it really struck me, and I immediately regretted it, and I have done it ever since actually, and we're good friends this, this individual life still, because I realized what I'd done, it was it did me more damage in my heart than I, it did to this person. And this this is probably a good 15 years ago, I suspect, um, more than that. But it still hurts me now to know I did that. And so I I feel that pain now. I recognize, I see it in other people do it as well. And I have that quiet chat saying, what was your intention? Uh, And knowing, because I know how it feels, the sudden feeling of power and how you exert it to to win. um, You know, that's dangerous. It's alluring, it's dangerous, and it does no good for your heart. It's,
0: It's very alluring. The moment somebody says, right, you're the boss, you're the manager, whether it's a team of two or a team of 200, your ego suddenly goes, oh, right then. (laughs) And what I see and I've felt is your decision-making, the the critical decision-making goes out the window. Mm. But equally so does your creativity because you're putting yourself under stress. You're then misusing this delegated authority this implicit authority this that you've been granted and there's nobody any good at all no it's it's only until you actually get to your feet under the table you get you get beaten around the head with somebody like you coming up and saying Paul what are you playing at sunshine you go ah okay boss. right I get the picture now and you realize it's you're there to build other people up now that's a lot better use of the power and that's a lot more effective
1: longer term you create more confident people in the organization which in turn does you a great service um I guess people still sense this self-service in people because it's a kind of hierarchy it's a career ladder literally excuse the pun in the fire service but um there's a bit of that but I but I'm always cautious of, of people to do saddle up to or, or attempt to gain uh benefit from a, a um, you know different routes and you know it is very much I think when I see people being themselves I sense there's a kind of there's a congruence between say doom and and, and their who I think since they are, then I find that much easier. It's very confusing for people who aren't congruent and for people who observe them. And I, I notice that you know quite a lot actually in, in in society, in on television, with politicians, with with leaders, with others. And some you could absolutely sort of nail their congruence and go, that's that's who they are. They're politicians, but they're being a, a fantastically authentic person in the context they work in.
0: Have you noticed that perhaps, it's, maybe it's just one of those things that I noticed that almost today, because so much is filtered through you know, social media lenses, media lenses, TV, whatever, that authenticity, as you said, overused as it is, authenticity and directness is so unusual that many people take it as offensive
1: mm. and
0: unpleasant. I'm just being me. I'm sorry. I'm a bit grumpy sometimes and kind of direct, but I don't mean to be mean, and I'm not being mean. It's just you—you you expect not to be offended. You—you're sheltered. You're hidden. You're protected. All that, yeah. especially in an environment such as yours.
1: Yes, I think I think you're right. I think the the idea that you can keep everyone happy all the time, you know. Is for the birds and, and it's you know I know as a character I like I like to please if I can I like to keep people happy because I, I I feel their pain I feel their 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 concerns um but you realize I mean right now we have um an ongoing national um issue around pay for firefighters and and they, they talk talking about balloting for strike and of course those issues you know elicit all sorts of challenges in emotions and chat and, and and thoughts and feelings but being straight with my team, I, and it's, not, it's not in my control. I don't set pay, that's set nationally. Um, but I am campaigning for them. I'm making sure that we've got enough money to pay any agreed any p, uh, agreed pay, pay scale. Um, but I'm straight with them about that um, as much as I would love the control of that. Because that's seen in a different way, saying I'm trying to break the national arrangements. But no, I'm saying my feeling is I'd like to solve this for you. Because I'm your leader and I want to make it better for you. I'm not trying to do something else you might suggest. I'm trying to break national arrangements because um, that's how I feel. But often people think that's got no part to play in, in this kind of role. But it absolutely has. It, it, your, your your personal feelings, your personal uh, perspectives as a leader you know, need to come out. You need to understand who you are and what you stand for. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you become this kind of rather gray mechanistic kind of corporate being which... Doesn't really have a soul or any sense of of meaning to, to people, just words. Uh,
0: what are you working on at present? What's interesting for you for the moment? What's happening?
1: And so no, I'm very proud of our organisation. We are, um, you know, way ahead of many pharmacy services across the country. Um, we project ourselves globally, and as much as understanding what good looks like around the world, and we we exchange teams with uh, Northwest uh, America uh for wildfire for no tactics uh, we exchange teams with some of we're going to be exchanging more teams with people in australia doing uh, medical because imagine in australia they do a lot more medical response having to do without an ambulance for longer and with the pressures on our ambulance service in this country it's learning techniques from them um so to, how do we make sure our firefighters can sustain life can maintain uh, health until such time as they can be carried to the, the casualties can be carried to hospital so there's lots of things we're focusing on there but in terms of leadership, uh, I guess you know through these difficult times around arguing uh, and having national debates and and uh, potential ballots around pay, it's keeping my teams feeling positive about the future, positively focused on, on the on the bright light in the future rather than the burning platforms, so that we can keep continue to move forward, and and enjoy what we do, but recognising that there's some tensions in all of our lives. There's, and life happens to people, uh, personal things happen, uh, and I've never seen such. A period where, where mental health is an issue for for lots of people you know, in society and and that reflects into my staff as well so making sure we've got the right provision the right support right recognition and understanding about that happens uh, and for, for people to talk about it and very sadly all too often we see uh you know uh, propensity in males particularly but you know people take their lives in in their middle ages uh, and that's something which as you imagine a workforce in that space and I'm determined to make sure we give them the best support we can. Um, so just trying to keep the spirit and, and, the, and the love in the organisation, because people do this job because they love it. Um, and uh, we don't tend to use the word love, actually. It's not kind of quite fitting for our organisation. But I think it is a love of what we do and each other. You know, it's a massive team. And we work so well looking after each other. It's what we do all day. And yet we would never confess that feeling.
0: <laughs> well done for getting it off your chest. <laughs> I think, I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're hitting something there with the mental health thing. It was World Mental Health Day uh, a few days ago. Yep. Uh, and I think we basically disrupted the social norms of our entire society for near on two years. Mm. And we're only now seeing both the results of that, inevitable, I suppose, as they might have been, and coming to terms with how we resolve them. Putting an idea of a, like a North star, refocusing yourself on something, someone, an objective, a, somewhere to go somewhere, somewhere you want to be in the North, your North star. And the organization is, I suppose it's a bit glib, but putting out fires, this safety of life and limb, property, all that. And for other organizations, it's making sure they, 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 there's deep clarity about purpose, why you're here. And there's the big P, the capital P, purpose, changing the world, looking after this. And then there's the small P you mentioned, which is being with my pals, being with my friends and being around the people I want to get up and do my work with, that love of role, love of service and you know, love of each other. I was used to say, you don't have to like the people you work with, but you do have to love them.
1: Yeah. 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 And there's a there's a lovely um, thought about um, you know our purpose. So now we're very clear on our purpose. Us is uh, together we make life like make life safer. And you could go to any fire station, anyone, and they'd say something similar. I'll get the actual words spot on, but it's something about the inner drive of, of your staff. And um, I was reading something recently about this idea of you know w- when they were looking at the uh, murmurations of starlings and trying to computer model them, it, you, they didn't write in in the computer model that you must go into a flock they sort of set other parameters around just do what you need to do and then the flock happens and it's going to be quite telling about that about getting your teams using their energy their passions their love of what they do and their care for the community to get on and do things i've got to set the the, the parameters and and the permissions to get on and do what they think right this is where a lot of our work comes from it's not from me or some strategic vision it's about letting our staff go what needs to happen here in a particular community Uh, And how do we make it happen to protect our our community? And that's, I think, what makes us different from most other corporates or most organisations, because we have a clear purpose about making life safer. What are you
0: reading or listening to at the moment?
1: So just actually uh, one of those things I picked up quite recently, um, an old boss of mine who was a former chief officer here a few years back. uh, And when he was reaching his retirement, not that's affecting me yet, um, but uh, he, he was doing this kind of rethink about, uh, you know, corporate life. A, the book called The Heart Aroused, actually, written by an English poet, David White. Um, uh, but it was written for American corporate life, um, interestingly. And uh, it, it's truly in, insightful in terms of, of where we find ourselves in a corporate cycle. And I said earlier, I run a £90 million organisation. It's very easy to get caught up in corporate things and, and running that, and which I, I love, don't get me wrong. But actually, there's something about keeping the heart alive in all that. Uh, so we don't get caught up in, in KPIs or, or uh, you know, performance reports. They're all important. They're all really, really important. You know, we, we have a, a Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabularies and Farm Rescue Service. That's a big acronym. But, um, you know, they inspect us and we we'll do our report very soon. It will say certain things about us. Um, but actually, you can get so caught up in that stuff, you forget to lead. You forget to use, use our hearts to say, what do we love doing? OK, we can do this bit be- these bits better. Um, but I've really enjoyed the book. It really sort of focuses on breaking yourself out with a bit of poetry, which I've another bit of poetry as well. Um, the idea of, of breaking your, keeping your heart aroused in these corporate days um, so that we realize actually what we're here for and as humans, what we're striving for. It's not just to deliver your KPIs. It's something much bigger than that.
0: Is there something you would like to thank young Neil for doing <laughs> right?
1: I guess um, it's a really interesting question. I guess it's kind of backing myself. And as much as I can remember being a very shy individual, didn't like speaking in front of people, I probably still am at heart. I'm, I'm an extroverted thinker, but actually I would, I would consider myself as an introvert as much as I'd much rather just be the keep myself to myself. This job obviously doesn't doesn't warrant that, And and but I love talking about my stuff. But actually, get me in a group. Otherwise, I may just keep myself quiet and listen, and observe, and enjoy the, the the fun. But actually, when I started backing myself and realizing I was a leader, I had leadership skills and leadership personality. Um, I, I did that relatively early, and I'm so pleased I did because you continue to back yourself. Yes, I've had to develop my skills, but you know, develop my sense of of mm. confidence. But actually, uh, it needed that kind of belief in self because others try to and you get some lovely people around you that support you in the journey but ultimately it comes back down to you saying you got this you're going to be okay keep going Uh, and so that's what i'd be grateful for
0: so does that does that cover things like positive self talk you talk to yourself in a good way
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah. sometimes a bad way no but you're you're right The, the the sense of i can walk away from a conversation going ah why did i say that for um, and it's so easy to dwell on that and have regrets and and, and try to turn those into, well, look, next time you could go in and, uh, you know, you can think about rehearse beforehand or, or you know, find some technique to offset that. Because um, I, I love holding a conversation. Sometimes I do find myself in conversations. I think I should, should have prepared a bit more for this. Um, but here I am. So just do your best. Um, but so preparing definitely makes you more polished but actually there's something quite raw about just being yourself, whoever you're speaking to, whether it be, you know, um, you know, royalty or, or, or you know, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter the humans. And so therefore they still need to see this congruence in who you are.
0: Consistency, continuity, authenticity, overused as it was. Okay. As we wrap up then, Neil, how can people find you?
1: So, uh, well, actually I uh, know we have a very, I have a quite a, uh, social media presence but uh, but in as much as you know, I'm, not, I'm not some super you know <laughs> celebrity but nonetheless you know in Hampshire certainly our website the Hampshire United white Farm rescue Service website is well used also we have a Twitter Twitter handle and we're on Facebook um and um, my and my teams more importantly my team's pictures and bios are on our website uh, so people want to find out about us also on LinkedIn um so I have a very unusual name Neil but um, like the Viking God, as you said earlier, um, and so people can always use that. Don't expect to see Valhalla or anything like that, but um, it is an unusual surname, so you will search me on there. It's alarming, actually. My children tell me this. When you go to Google and put in Odin, you get the one-eyed wandering God, but also you get pictures of me. So um, I, I, just to be, don't get confused about which one you're looking at. So, yeah, but you can find me on there.
0: <laughs> Neil Odin, Chief Fire Officer for Hampshire and of White Fire and Rescue Service. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework, subscribe and share this with a friend or colleague. Please leave your five-star review in any comments you have, because that really helps me to improve every day, and it helps people to discover me online. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, you should check out practical-leadership.academy.